Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today on the show, we're starting a revolution and killing a beast. Welcome to Wins Howl, a companion podcast to The Witcher TV show on Netflix. We'll be diving deep into each episode of the show and exploring the larger context of the story from the games and novels. I'm Brett. And my name's Abu. And I'm Lucy. Whoa. Oh, surprise. Company. (laughs) Another voice on our show, Brett. This is unexpected. (laughs) I know it's a voice I don't hear that often. (laughs) (laughs) No, of course. Lucy, welcome to Wins Howling. Thank you very much. You have been a longtime friend of the show. It is an honor to finally have you on the podcast with us. Thank you so much. I am very excited to join you both. It's a bit of a full circle moment for me as this was one of my, apart from the Netflix show, this was my first introduction to the wider Witcher world. I think I found your podcast probably coming up to two years ago now, just after I started watching the first series of the Witcher Netflix show and I didn't have a clue what was going on. So I was like, I need to listen to some kind of podcast to get some more information on this. And I probably listened to your first season or series within two or three days. And then, wow. yeah, that's how it all started. So I'm really glad to join you. God bless you. That's a lot of our voices inside your yeah. head <laughs> yeah, in a is. very short amount of time. <laughs> I feel like I'm straddling a fence here where it's just here, over there. It's like both my worlds are colliding. You almost might say it's a conjunction. Of the <laughs> Wait, there we go. <laughs> oh, my God. It's a conjunction of the podcasts. I love that. I'll let you tell our listeners at the end of the episode where they can find you because, Lucy, you're a streamer. Obviously, you also host On the Path with Brett, where you guys cover a lot of Witcher stuff. And right now, you're covering The Last of Us TV show. I'll let you plug all of your great content at the end of the episode. But today, we're all gathered here to wrap up our coverage of Witcher Blood Origin. We're here to break down and discuss episode four and share our thoughts about the larger series as well. But before we get into it, some quick housekeeping. First and foremost, a spoiler warning. This is episode four. We assume you've watched the whole series at this point. So the only spoiler warning today is that in these discussions, we do take into account the larger Witcher canon from the books, the video games, the first two seasons of the Netflix show. So just be aware that there will be light spoilers and speculation from the books and other Witcher canon. We also love to hear from you. So, dear listener, email us at windshowling at loreparty.com. Again, if you're a longtime listener, we updated that email a little bit. So, here it is again. Write it down. Windshowling at loreparty.com. All right, that takes care of housekeeping, gang. The game plan for today is that we'll start off with a summary of the episode, sharing our thoughts along the way, and then we'll dive into... Basically, our big picture thoughts on not only this episode, but the whole series, all four episodes, all of Blood Origin. And then we like to wrap up on a positive note. So we will end by sharing our favorite quotes from episode four and our favorite scenes. 
from episode four. Does that sound good to you too? Sounds good. All right. We begin episode four as Aerdin and Balor travel to another world. They open up a portal using the monoliths and Balor instantly sacrifices Fenric, R.I.P. Fenric, obtaining that chaos magic that he so desperately wants. And he uses that chaos magic to open up another portal and send Aerodin and his group of soldiers through to it, trapping them in some unknown alternate reality. And then we hit the title card. That's our cold open to episode four. Yeah, I wish with Fenric it's one of those things that can keep a running tally how many times it gets said, where you wanted to see more. Obviously, it wasn't fleshed out, but they didn't want to cut her character. And it just hits on there to where it's like, oh, yeah. And you especially got that feeling when Balor previously had said, well, I now know what I need to do. And it's sacrificing that which is closest to him. Yeah. My favorite word in these discussions has been stakes. And for me, I didn't really feel much when Fenric was killed because we haven't set up those stakes. We haven't explored the relationship between Balor and Fenric. And so when he sacrificed her, I was like, okay, that's a big deal to him. I can believe that, but it's not mm -hmm. a big deal to me, the viewer, because I have not been told why. I kind of felt more when he sacrificed the children in the yeah. in the few episodes ago. I was like, I was feeling more shocked by him sacrificing two young kids. Even though this is supposed to be his nearest and dearest, Fenric, it was more shocking to me that the kids went, I think. I agree. All right. So after the title card, we are now in Zentrea and our plan is underway. Skian and Fial are in the palace and they are confronting Empress Merwin, while Ayla and the Cell Swords and the rest of the group are riling up the Lowborn to create chaos in the city. And both plans run into some snags because Merwin betrays Skian and doesn't commit to her end of the bargain, while Ayla realizes they open up those royal grain stores and realize oh shit, this famine is worse than we thought because even the royal grain stores are empty. Luckily, the lowborn love the chart-topping single Black Rose <laughs> and are more than happy to riot for their freedom and for their food. Ayla sort of gets them going, they sing that song, and they cause chaos in Zentrea. What did you guys think of this scene? This was fun to go over with today because I spent all day talking about the causes and up to of the French Revolution. Oh, snap. So it worked perfectly. And hey, look, there's no food. A successful, actually, uprising kind of revolution here. So it went perfectly. Are you seeing some French Revolution parallels here, too? Nah, not really. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, again, no food. You know, there were no guillotines here. We didn't see mob mentality. We didn't see them ripping people apart and just slaughtering. That, that would have been nice to see. If they kind of did that, you know, they attacked some of the soldiers, but we didn't really see any other highborn because I guess they were all killed, weren't they? <laughs> By the dragon attack. Wasn't everybody kind of wiped out in episode one? That's true. I kind of liked how ready everyone was. I think they didn't take much convincing at all. Even after <laughs> even after the grain stores were empty, they just sang a song and they were ready and they riled up all their mates and they were off. I love that. Okay, that's a good one there with the French Revolution because it didn't take much there also. No. <laughs> it's Here's some weapons. Okay, we haven't had anything to do. All right, we're just going to go fucking tear everybody up. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like when, I don't know, Queen or Childish Gambino starts playing for me when I'm at the gym. It doesn't take <laughs> that much for me to want to uh, riot for my freedom and my food. 
as what's well. What's the what's the go-to Queen song? Um it's the uh, I'm blanking. What's the what is the Queen song? How does it Bohemian go? Bohemian Rhapsody. You got to sing it. Bohemian Rhapsody. Okay, Bohemian Rhapsody. Okay. <laughs> that's Mine, you try to get me to well. sing, Lucy. <laughs> I think that's mine, a killer queen as well. That's a great one. Yeah, killer queen is mine. Oh, I love that. Yeah, my gym ones are. I have a few ACDC ones on my. Oh, list that's good. That's oh, good. That are, I would never usually listen to, but in the gym, it just it just changes your whole mentality. I love it. Yeah, I, I think next time, Lucy, you should try the Black Rose. In the yeah, gym. Maybe. it might change your mentality. <laughs> there's not. There's. I guess it might do that. These songs are all great, but it's not really, it's not too many that are really going to get you to run through a wall. It's more or less ones that make you sad. Yeah. <laughs> and for depressed. Sure. Like yeah. the end of this one. Uh, songs are so good. All right. So zooming back to the palace, Merwin is having a conversation with Fial and straight up just tells him everything. She is brutally honest about everything she has done and committed and pulls a Kylo Ren on him. She says, quote, the old ways had to die, end quote. And that's her sales pitch to Fial. Unfortunately for her, Merwin is sounding more and more unhinged as she speaks, and he's having none of it. He's not sold. And instead, he basically goes beast mode and literally breaks it. <laughs> yeah. Like literally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally yeah. goes beast mode. <laughs> totally. Literally goes beast mode, breaks his chains, and turns around to face dragon monster who has just entered the throne room as Merwin rushes out of the scene. This raises a ton of questions for me. <laughs> a lot of them I talked about in our last discussion with Brett. I'm just so confused about who is taking care of the dragon monster and where it is living. Because now I have to assume it's living in the palace? Who's feeding it? Walking what are they around. feeding it? <laughs> it's yeah. walking around, not attacking people? We don't get answers. I want them but all I'm left with is just a lot of questions about this monster and who's taking it's a care of it. It's a trained monster. Balor is not gone <laughs> yet. Well, it's the way it's just wandering kind of around. Ways. And up until now, we have only seen one room that's like its height. All the other corridors so are just normal oh, heights. Hallway. So where is it going? It must just be going between these two rooms that have significantly <laughs> high ceilings. The next and... Witcher prequel, Balor's yeah. Monster. <laughs> Balor's Monster's Day Out. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I want like an Airbud style Balor and his beast. He's gonna movie. fucking play basketball or something. Is that what <laughs> He's it is? Enough. Air, oh man! Well, now you got that's my brain a, wondering. Yeah, that's such a great note, Lucy. There are few rooms in this palace that we see big enough for this monster. <laughs> Luckily, the throne room is big enough because that's where this fight goes down. But with this, with this scene here, I almost had this as my favorite scene because it's my favorite. It's also my least liked. It's my favorite because it's the last time we see Fjall as himself. Yeah. And I love Fjall. He was my favorite character. And he's kind of holding on to it before he goes beast mode. And he'd be my least favorite because after this, he's done. And there's no more Fjall as we knew him. This was actually nearly my favorite scene as well because Merwin has been one of my favorite characters. Not as a person, but just as a character. Because you've put the perfect word there, Abu. She is absolutely unhinged. And she's so convinced in her own thought process that she is just, like you said, brutally honest with Fial, thinking that he will be okay with her killing everybody that he knew. She's just been the most <laughs> fascinating for me to watch. So this was nearly my favorite, but well, we'll discuss our favorite scenes later. But especially as you say, unhinged, she's unhinged if you were to put it on paper, but she's not a raving lunatic. Yeah. She's not going crazy. Right. Right. She, it's controlled unhingedness. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. She's not out of her mind she is just 
delusional, I suppose. She has convinced yeah. herself yeah. of this alternate reality that in which she is the hero, basically. And Fial, of course, not sold. Now, while all of that is going on in the palace, our heroes out in the streets, after having created this uprising, make their way to the palace. Skian lets them in, and they carry out the plan. They break up, and they carry out their plan. Brother Death, Meldoff, and Skian hold their ground and fight off some guards in a hallway scene. Zachary and Sindril run off toward the monolith to go save the day and destroy that monolith. Ayla comes across the Empress and follows her into her room to exact her revenge. So let's touch on each of these little arcs here in the plan, starting with Ayla, who enters the room right behind the Empress and confronts her. And ultimately, this conversation ends in a knife in Merwin's gut, which is a tough look for the Empress. I found the dialogue here to be a little heavy-handed and a little clunky, but I think it served its purpose well enough. I did like that Ayla said that Merwin was no different than any other tyrant or any other king that Elfkind has ever had. She's just another royal boot looking for lowborn necks to stand on. And I think that's poignant, especially coming from Ayla, a black woman, after the police brutality we've seen in the U.S. and around the world. I think a line like that really sort of resonated with me because I was like, okay, that's powerful, especially because of the casting and the black woman that's delivering that line. In the end, though, Ayla gives the Empress a choice. She leaves the knife in her gut and says, you can either take the knife out and bleed to death and no one will ever know. Or she can leave the knife in and go seek out a physician and perhaps survive, but watch her empire fall around her. And Merwin chooses to basically stumble her way back to the throne room, sits down in her throne, and takes the knife out just as a mob rushes into the palace. So she chooses to bleed out and die with whatever shred of honor she has left. What did y'all think of the Ayla Empress confrontation scene? Well, I had it as my favorite scene, but I guess you kind of didn't like it, so I guess it wasn't. Oh that no, good. No, 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 no! <laughs> Generic. I'm my, like, oh, don't let my opinion oh. detract from your enjoyment of yeah. it. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I liked it in the sense of that there wasn't this big fight. They didn't make Merwin all of a sudden mm -hmm. this badass warrior or anything like that. I liked that Ayla said the people now speak for themselves. That she doesn't have to do it for him anymore with the song. That it's beyond that. And then the same, she just, Merwin makes her play, she fails, Ayla stabs her, doesn't get in some last line and cuts her head off. She didn't have to do it. She's like, you're going to die now. You're going to die. It's just whether you want to do it of yourself or however you do it. But I was, again, disappointed that there was no mob mentality where she was ripped apart. I wanted her to be ripped apart. <laughs> That's I what I thought blood. was going to happen. I thought that might happen as well. And I was curious... Would she have pulled the knife out if the mob didn't arrive? Or was she secretly hoping that someone might find her that would help her? Um, but with regards to the scene between her and Ayla, I did quite like it as well. I quite liked that she was, in the end, she was called out on her delusion, thankfully. Even if she didn't want to hear it or didn't believe it, she was told it by Ayla and it was the perfect person to come from, like you said. Um but yeah, I would have liked to see what happened after that scene end with the mob there. What did they do? Did they take the crown? Did they take all the jewels? Like, what happened? There did could have been a cool her? little scene of... Because we see that one elf at the end, or throughout the whole episode, the, the ginger woman. Yes, yeah. 
if I had seen her like running around in the background at the end of the episode with the, the crown on or something, I would have uh, loved that. Like wearing her scalp or something with the crown <laughs> on. Just the, just the that's crown, just, yeah. And that's the thing, it's not that big a thing, but I was kind of expecting of it being more gory at times. It would be very gory. The Witcher season one, my God, as we've rewatched that, the gore is immense. And I don't remember mm-hmm. if it was that much in season two as well. But even something like this, it almost seemed tame at times from the main series and even from Nightmare of the Wolf, the anime. Oh, my God. Yeah. Forgot about that. That was, <laughs> yeah, they just, anime, they just got that shit out. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. It did feel a little toned down. So that having been said, though, let's check in with Fiat because we do get a little bit of goriness here. He is having a tough time with the dragon monster. And the fight moves its way out onto some sort of balcony or terrace in the palace. And Ayla arrives after taking care of the Empress. The monster sort of knocks her aside or injures her, which angers Fial. He basically goes into Hulk mode, just like Beast Mode 2.0, whatever that is. <laughs> and he turns to a crumbled statue nearby, grabs like the enormous sword that the statue was holding and hurls it at the beast, killing the beast once and for all. Unfortunately, at this point, his Hulk mode is too much for him to control. Fial is out of control. He rips the sellsword captain in two, <laughs> which is a damn shame. I liked that guy. I'll take it back. That was my favorite scene because I, t- I was done with Dylan Moran there. He's just strolling around. All the- Eat all the peaches you want, you dead bastard. No, no, no. I'm just kidding. I love I loved Dylan Moran. I love the-, the little bit of humor he gave in. But that yeah. was that was jarring jarring ripped from behind i was like oh they're going there here's the gore there's the there gore. yeah there you go that's what you're asking what for yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh i got it <laughs> yeah well after shredding that guy in two he also injures brother death pokes one of his eyes out mm. and the only thing that can stop fial in this moment is ayla ayla starts to sing and it's a very black widow bruce banner hulk moment for the MCU Marvel fans out there. And he sort of calms himself down. Ayla walks up and Fial basically begs for Ayla to end it. He knows that there's no controlling this. There is no way for him to survive this whole Witcher mutation situation anyway. And now that the monster is defeated and his job is done, she needs to lay him to rest and kill him. She declares her love for him and stabs him through the heart in a very symbolic gesture. And falls to the ground and screams as we close out that scene. A lot happened in this scene. I did not like the Hulk mode. Just when he first kind of turned into him, I'm like, okay, he's got a little bit of the Witcher-esque. But this, you know, this is supposed to be the first Witcher. It was just unexpected. And again, upon the rewatches, it just didn't land for me that he's a straight up monster. You know, that he's even using the brute force. He's not using weapons. You know, we're not seeing generally what we think of as Witcher. So maybe they'll tie this into something else that they do about the adaptations. I don't know. But it's not what I expected from the first Witcher. And with the end scene with them, it just didn't land as much because we just didn't have enough time with them. Or it wasn't good enough time for me to really feel it. Maybe if we just followed Ayla and Fial over these four episodes with maybe one or two supporting characters, we could have had more into it. But for the most part, it just, it didn't land for me that much. I need a song at the end to make me tear up. (laughs) There was no good enough song. 
give Brett his songs. Give me the song. What about you, Lucy? Did it land for you? Did her declaration of love and her heartbroken scream at the end work? There was parts of the scene that really did, and then there was bits that completely took me out. So I didn't like that she sang the song to like draw him out of this state. Same. Um, yeah. yeah, I just didn't. I don't know. I find it kind of corny. Um, but their moment where he's saying, you know, I'll wait for you. She stabs him through the heart. That was really getting me when it was just really tight, just them two on the screen. Nothing else mattered. That got me. But then the scream kind of took me out. Yeah. I don't know what it was. It seemed really out of nowhere. I didn't I didn't see it come in. It kind of shocked me a little bit. It got like a jump scare. Um but other I mean, yeah, I liked it as a as an ending to that little story. Yeah. The scream also for me was a little melodramatic, honestly. Like it, it felt out of character even for Ayla. She's yeah. like a hardened warrior. It feels weird for her to like fall to her knees. She's screaming. a bard, y'all. She's emotional now. Oh, women You're forgetting can't show that emotion, she burned children. I will say this, though, also, I got my hopes up for a second, especially when he slams brother death, because I thought he's dead. I mean, his oh, head Sam. is caved in, his eyes yeah. missing. Yeah. In that moment, I was like, yes, they're going to go this route because they're not going to do the rogue one thing that, you know, we kind of wanted where they're all going to die. But I was like, he's going to start killing them. I don't know if he's going to kill them all. And then Ayla has to kill him. And it's this huge sacrifice. I thought he was about to kill all of them. And when it just ended with her singing... I was like, no, I thought that would have been better if they had to create, I'm sorry, if they had to kill the monster they created to kind of do this, I thought it would have been poetic or ironic, very Witcher-esque to do it. So I was just disappointed that so many people survived. No, <laughs> I, I was too. To <laughs> I really was expecting this to be some kind of everyone dies at the end except Ayla. I yeah. was thinking that was what it was going to be but at some on point. An empire, you know? Like, yeah, and I, it's, it's, hard a, to do. it's a you tough task. That. Yeah. But then we only had 40 minutes. So I was thinking, geez, this is going to be six <laughs> very unemote, like very quick deaths. <laughs> yeah, just a death montage to close yeah. out the episode, you know? <laughs> All right. Well, let's check in with the other part of the plan because there's still two more characters left. Zachary and Sindral face off against a super-powered Balor. My guy is throwing flames around everywhere. He roasts that poor guy that just comes up and says, hello? Like, tough look. (laughs) Sindra's plan here to take on Balor and destroy the monolith is to bind himself with Balor and use the Chief Sage's newfound power, his chaos, to destroy the monolith. Basically, like, funnel it into the monolith or whatever. I don't know how magic works. I believe him when he says that'll do it. It is successful. Zachary does her uh, tree branch tendril thing again, binds Balor and Sindril together, overloads the monolith with magic, boom, explosion. Inadvertently, this causes one of the most iconic events in all of the Witcher universe, the conjunction of spheres. We see time and reality start to rip apart up in the sky, these like circles of light all sort of intersecting and colliding into each other. And we witness something, you know, if you're a book fan, something you've only read about. If you're a TV show fan, something you've only heard about. And we finally witness it here. And the scene closes out by cutting away to the banks of the Yoruga, where there is a shipwreck. And we see that humans have finally arrived on the continent. What did you guys think about this? Zachary, Sindral, the monolith, and especially the conjunction of spheres. As glorious as you expected? The conjunction and where they show it, I thought was cool. A big thing 
is the elves felt too much like humans. So when the humans are there, if the elves have long hair and their ears are covered, can't really tell the difference. So when mm -hmm. they first showed yeah. up, that just got lost on me again because of how similar the humans, the elves are. And also we didn't see them do anything other than that, which right. again, I know that's not what this show's about. Maybe they'll do something there. That would be interesting. The assimilation, the language barrier, like they're going to have to have children. And then those children are going to be the ones they're going to speak the languages to that will then learn the languages and become it. Because otherwise they're not going to be able to communicate. So I think that would be really cool. Yeah. What about you, Lucy? My favorite part of the scene before the monolith is destroyed is you say Balor, right? Balor. Yeah, I keep, going, I keep going, I don't know. Baylor, I keep going between Balor and yeah. Balor, and I can't decide which one I say. <laughs> well, Balor makes me think Game of Thrones. Exactly. Because, yeah. That's what I okay. said. That's what Balor. I said. <laughs> so this, on the path episodes, it's Balor. <laughs> Here's Balor. I love it. Lucy, you say it however is comfortable for you. I know. Then, she, okay, then she's confused. <laughs> so Balor's got this newfound power, and it's almost like he's just having fun in this moment because... Sindral comes around and starts using some kind of ard looking spell or sign on him and he just kind of laughs it off. He's like, ha! Huh! And it's like a bit of a challenge. I love that before it goes all tits up, he's kind of enjoying himself a little bit there. Um, but as for the actual conjunction, I thought visually it was quite cool. You know, the sky kind of opened up and you saw all these different planets, some of which looked familiar to me as a, as a human, but some of them <laughs> were completely random. I agree. I would like to know more about what happened in this six months because we get a little epilogue after six months um, after the conjunction. I would love to know more about how they integrated themselves and how eventually, obviously in the Witcher world that we know from the Netflix series, the humans are kind of in charge at that point. So how did that change in that time? Yeah, I think the conjunction itself was actually sort of a visual treat I really liked how they showed these spheres colliding and these worlds colliding. They did a good job. I do agree that I wish we had gotten a bit more humans in there, but to Brett's point, that's not what this show is about. And again, four episodes, thought pacing, da 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 take a shot. Mm -hmm. There just wasn't enough time to explore this human-elf relationship, but that part of the Witcher universe is so fascinating. And like you're saying, Lucy, we see that dynamic flip. Over the next thousand-plus years, humans will be at the top of the food chain, and it's the elves who will become the oppressed class. And it, it would be so interesting to see that evolution slowly start to happen. I think a lot of that would come from population. Humans can have children easier, as yeah. evidenced by the elves almost dying out. Just after a while, humans just popping out babies left and right. Yeah. <laughs> Look, the elves just got to start fucking more. That's my take on that. <laughs> I think they do. I think it just doesn't <laughs> land. Yeah, right. Or right, maybe right. they don't. Maybe they're too... Well, that would be like the Tolkien elves are all classy. These Witcher elves aren't. That's for sure. <laughs> no, they aren't. Not for at sure. all. Yeah. I mean, if y'all was fucking episode one, so good on him. That is know? true. Right. That is yeah, true. it's it's definitely like a fertility thing, and humans yeah, just can yeah. have more babies in a shorter amount of time. Maybe they aren't as horny, though. That could be it. That could be a factor. <laughs> humans be horny. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So speaking of the six month time jump, our episode does close off on an epilogue, like you said, Lucy. We jump ahead six months, and we get a montage where we check in with all of our characters. Where is everybody now? Where are they now? Ayla is standing at Fjall's funeral pyre alone because apparently this whole adventure meant nothing to anyone else. 
Skian has her sword back and she buries it in some sort of ritual. Zachary and a one-eyed brother death mourn Sindril. They're also standing in front of Sindril's grave. Aridin is trapped in some blood-red, horrible, dystopian-looking world. And he looks over, sees a helmet sitting in the ground, and he picks it up and he puts it on, which is, of course, Wild Hunt. <laughs> what did you guys think of the uh, epilogue montage here and where everyone has ended up? Satisfying for you? The song was good. Two standing <laughs> stones. I'll have that again coming up to talk about more later. Yeah, and again, like literally the, the song made the scene. Like the great song again, pulls out emotion. If it wasn't in there, if it was a lesser song, would not have cared. Aridin, again, just goes back to, he seemed to only exist in this show because he's going to show up in The Witcher season three. He yeah. didn't really do anything. It's generally not the Aridin, you know, that we would know. And it, I have a, so many questions about what they're going to do here because this looks like the planet they were on in season two. Yeah, it does. It looks like the same one. And what we know, again, from the Wild Hunt, if you play the games, is they can interdimensional travel and all that. There's a bunch of other stuff, spoiler, we don't need to get into about, say, like, Avalok. Avalok and Aerodin are real tight in the games. Here, they definitely really aren't. And now they're separated. There's questions about NL and NSAID elves. I have a ton. A ton <laughs> of questions by this. Totally. But nothing, nothing pertinent, again, to the show right here. I thought it was okay, and again, it wrapped up. It did it succinctly. I believe this was the shortest episode. It was boom, 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 and pretty much wrap everything up right here. Yeah. yeah. I'm watching Survivor, and the Survivor finale is literally twice as long as a normal yeah. episode. That's what tends to happen, is they go along <laughs> with it. What about you, Lucy? Were you satisfied with this wrap-up montage? Yeah, yeah. I liked that we saw... Ayla giving Fjall a proper send-off like I imagine he would have wanted. It was sad to watch her stood there alone, like you said, crying. I felt for her in that moment. And this is the moment where we realised that Brother Death survived. So I was kind of like, oh, right, okay. I know. He's, he survived. <laughs> Not I that I wanted him to die, but I was kind of like, oh, you don't have to you don't have to, you know, keep everyone alive. We're okay with some losing some people along the way. Yeah. Did but you we, tell the actor that when you interviewed him? Yes, I was just I think about we to say, did. we did. did. We? <laughs> I did. When we interviewed him, I was like, don't take offense to this. But I was actually kind of disappointed that you did die. Well, not you personally, just that nobody else died besides Dylan Moran getting ripped. Yeah, that's so yeah. funny. <laughs> I guess the only, I guess, what's his face? Um, Sindral died. Yeah. Sindral yeah. died as well. Yeah, that's he true. died. But and with Fjol. regards to Aridin. <sighs> I don't know what to think of it, to be honest. Yeah, it, it does seem like they're just setting him up to join the, what's the word, like the main show. Mm -hmm. He didn't do much in this series, but it was nice to see that little tie-in with that world and how he ended up, the, up there in the first place. I guess it gives us some kind of background on his character rather than just plopping him into the main series. So, yeah, it was a, it was a decent ending, I think. Yeah. So the last scene we get in the episode, before the credits at least, is we return to that village all the way from episode one and we see an elf putting up a sign a contract if you will a monster mm. contract on a bulletin board and i instantly you know my ocd was like you got to take all of those i need yeah. to do all of those quests <laughs> you know smash a grab all the quests and we enter the tavern again and we see that ayla is 
singing the song that we've been hearing during this montage so far. And the big reveal here is that she is pregnant with Fial's child. And she asks Ithlian, who's there with them, Ithlian and Meldoff are there as well, for a prophecy. And Ithlian gives one more prophecy to us. She says, quote, The time of the spheres is upon us, and shade lost across the skies, cast adrift in time, ever searching for love, lost and left behind. The lark's seed shall carry forth the first note of a song that ends all times, and one of her blood shall sing the last. End quote. So another Ithlian prophecy that we're given. That's prophecy number three that mm. we are given from Ithlian of the ones we know so far. And obviously some of these things, as Witcher fans, as people who have seen season one, season two, and kind of know what to expect from season three, we can read the tea leaves here a little bit. But we get a mention of Anshade. We get a mention of elves lost and adrift, which to me is a clear call to Aradin. And we get mm-hmm. mention of the Lark Seed carrying a note that will end all times, which to me is a very clear connection to Siri. So it appears that Fial and the Lark are very distant ancestors of Siri from the main show. And then the episode ends because we cut back to the storyteller and Yaskir, who's frantically writing all of this down. The storyteller disappears mysteriously on Yaskir, and he is returned back to the bloody battlefield that we opened up this show on and the Scoyotel arrive and rescue him. And then we hit credits. Thoughts, gang, on this final scene, the pregnancy, the prophecy, Yaskir, the Scoyotel. There's a lot. Everything that I think is going to happen doesn't happen time and time (laughs) again. I'm literally never correct. And multiple times here, I thought it. I love the Ithlian actor. I think she's great. Yeah, oh, yeah. She's, she's so cute. exuberant. She does a very good trance. She almost looks mm-hmm. drunk. Like, I don't know, maybe she's probably, she's probably like 24. The way they get these actors are like 24, look like they're 12 years old. But she does this very much, the spheres. She's been there. As soon as Ayla said, you know, do it again, I'm like, here comes fucking Ithlian's prophecy that we know. Here it is. That's what I thought. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and then they give this one, and I'm scratching my head, and I'm thinking, they're going to say Ithlian's prophecy a lot. They've already said it in The Witcher season one and two. They're going to say it again in the third one, especially as we get closer to certain things. Are people going to think this is Ithlian's prophecy when this isn't the one they've showed in the show? Will people go to this? Or maybe they won't. I, I don't know. That, that could be the case. But also, and I swear they, they've mentioned in the show as where, well, Lara Doran. Like, Lara Doran is where it all comes from. That's where it comes from in the general Witcher lore. Right. And so I'm thinking... Is this kid Laura Doran? They didn't answer. That's fine. It could be or not. And it's just also questions again about this creative decision making. A huge thing is the Witchers cannot have children. This is called the first Witcher, and the first one has a kid. And I'm not going to be like, you can't like that. It's just when you take something like that and change from what we know, I just want to know why. I just don't get why they would do it. They would confuse it. If it's something special, that's fine. I just have so many damn questions about all this going on in this scene right here. Yeah, definitely. No, I do totally agree. Because especially, is it series one where they make a really big point about witchers and sorceresses both being infertile and both not being able to have kids when Yennefer is desperate to? Yeah, it's Yen's whole thing. And Geralt makes a point of them being infertile as well. So that's going to cause 
especially for a casual viewer, I think it's going to cause so much confusion because they'll be like, wait, what? This is the first Witcher. I thought they couldn't have kids. Yeah. So it would have been nice to have a maybe maybe we will get that explanation in series three. Yeah. A lot of the show has felt like set up for, yeah. se- for it season feels three. Like all of it to me. Yeah, it really, it really does. Yeah. Well, especially let's talk about it, especially this post credit scene. So the last thing to talk about here before we hit our ad break is the mid credit scene, because everything needs that now after Marvel. <laughs> we see a quick shot of Siri playing Bones in the courtyard or wherever yeah. she is. The shot from season one, if you recall, with her friends in Sintra and the camera cuts. And in season one, the camera cut and we saw Geralt standing there, I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Here instead, the camera cuts and we see the same mousy Avalok that we've come to love in this show standing there watching her, holding one of the tomes or whatever. And that's it. That's sort of our like teaser shot. What did y'all think of this? What was the takeaway here? What are they teasing here? I shit myself when I saw this scene. I just, I have no idea. I don't hate it. I don't like it. I just was so confused. I couldn't go to the bathroom on the toilet. I just went in my pants. I didn't know what to do. In all seriousness, I I have no idea. I genuinely, this might be the number one thing to know. And I think I actually might've seen something on there where it was Lauren or somebody, somewhat explained it where they just wanted to show that it's Avalok is involved with, I don't use obsessed yet, but he becomes obsessed with Siri. But like you said, I don't think Avalok's going to look the same this thousand, 1200 years. Is that what this was? 1200 years. 1200 years later. But if this Avalok isn't the NL Avalok that we know from the books and the games, he's going to time travel, but he's not going to be part of them. And again, it's just something where I just have a lot of questions because it's it's doing their own thing, which is fine. They can do whatever. But if they don't explain and they thought I am so flabbergasted even thinking about this scene when I saw it, I remember telling you, Abu, I remember saying, oh, did you watch the mid credit scene? Well, a mid credit scene? I was like, oh, my God, yeah. you have to watch it right flipping now. And I just I'm I don't know. I could talk for four hours about it and just talking in <laughs> circles like I'm doing right now because I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Do you have any ideas, Lucy? Well, to be honest, I can't think about time travel for too long because it really, (laughs) I really can't get my brain around it because, but what, what really struck me is that Siri sees him. She seems to look at him and have long eye contact with him and she you know you wouldn't you wouldn't forget him he's got this bright blue cloak on he's staring at you weirdly from an alley like i feel like she would mention that so here's the thing with that it's the same exact shot that they used in episode one where she looks and doesn't see anything we don't see anything and it's the same exact shot from i believe it was the last episode or second to last episode i don't remember exactly when that was when it's Geralt there yes but she doesn't see him she doesn't see them at any point Mm. But Good like, Lucy, you're right. Let's say say this is somebody being introduced to the Witcher universe. They're going to look at that and think Siri just saw Avalok. But she didn't. I don't <laughs> understand. I don't understand. <laughs> and I think to its credit, it's an intentionally conf- yeah. confusing teaser, right? Like, 
you don't tease something by just telling everyone the answer. You tease it to raise more questions than answers. And so I think it's just a wait and see at this point mm. for us. Like we have to watch season three and maybe we'll get answers for why Avalok is time traveling. I suspect, and Brett, you've mentioned this in our discussions of these episodes so far, that the show is setting up Avalok so that we can see him in season three, so that he'll make some sort of appearance. Whether it's this same actor and the same mousy young Avalok, or it is a older, wiser, different Avalok. Dude, he better be. not. He better not be that nerd. Like I said, <laughs> I, I go. I know which I go, one you prefer. <laughs> I go eighties movie jock when it comes to Avalok. Look at this nerd. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I can tell. You're ready to stuff him in a locker, take his yeah. lunch money. We're I gonna, get it. We're gonna. We're gonna get the memes ready and just <laughs> Revenge of the Nerds Avalok. There. Yeah. But also to hit on, we both recently watched Shaun of the Dead, and it was so mm. fucking refreshing to not have a mid credits or a post credit scene. Like the movie just ended. And then I could leave and I didn't have to scan or fast forward. It was nice. Right. I mean, it's the greatest con Marvel level ever pulled because now yeah. every movie I have to sit there in the theater every. and be like, I'll, 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 I'll wait just in mm -hmm. case I'll wait. I love it when theaters actually say, and they will yes. announce it. They'll be like, there are no post-credit or mid-credit scenes. Y'all get the hell out of oh, here. Let us good. clean it. <laughs> right. Throw away your popcorn. Get out of here. We got to clean yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. All right. Well, that wraps up our summary of episode four. Let's take a quick breather here, but dear listener, don't go anywhere because when we come back, the three of us are going to dive into our big picture thoughts on Witcher Blood Origin. So we'll be right back. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back, everyone. Let's get into our discussion about this entire show. We've now watched all four episodes. We've discussed all four episodes. And I am dying to know, Lucy, what your thoughts are. What was your big picture takeaways for Witcher Blood Origin? Big picture. So as we said earlier, it has been exactly one month now since the show released. And... It's felt like an age and I kind of feel like the show has been forgotten about. Even though there was there was a lot of build up to this show in the few weeks beforehand, we were getting, you know, daily little tweets and stuff. And then when it released, we were getting daily clips of the cast, daily Instagram posts, so much promotion. And yeah, I you know got it's to been, go to the premiere. I did. Yeah, that was great fun. That was a really good event, actually, that they put on a really good do. Um, they had it all set up like a little tavern inside and they had bards going around with lutes. They would just break out in song. 
Um, they had all the cast, well, not all the cast. They had a lot of the cast from the main show that was there. Um, yeah, it was a great little event. They had little potions that you could shot, like little witcher potions, which were like <laughs> vodka and gin and everyone had a tankard. It was it was actually a really good event. And all of the cast of the Blood Origin show were there. They did a short Q&A before we got to watch the first two episodes. And mm-hmm. it was one of the loveliest events I've ever went to. That's great. It was just really special watching it alongside them. I really liked the first two episodes. See, when I first watched them at the premiere, I really enjoyed them. But I was thinking, am I just kind of caught up in this hype? You know, everyone's so excited watching it with the cast, watching it with Declan Dabara. I was kind of like, okay, I enjoyed it, but I'm going to rewatch it at home and just make sure I'm not just overwhelmed with, you know, the showbiz of it all. Yeah. Uh, and with less vodka in your system. Less witcher potions, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why they had all the vodka there. <laughs> there wasn't you didn't have Joey Beatty to stare into his eye. No, do you know what? He was one uh he didn't stay to watch it. Oh everybody else time. stayed to watch it, but Joey uh, Beatty and Mini Driver did not stay. Uh he's mm. on the main series, so Yeah. Right, right. Busy so, yeah. But everybody else stayed to watch and it was really sweet. Uh but yeah, so I really did enjoy the first two episodes. And then episode three for me was just like a complete change of pace, which was kind of unnerving and I didn't really know how to take it. And then episode four, like we've just discussed, was 40 minutes of bam, bam, bam. <laughs> so as much as I enjoyed it, my overall feeling about the show was I feel a bit down, a bit disappointed because there were so many moments where. I thought, I really love this story. I love the idea. I love the characters. I love the cast. I just know, and you know, especially with the whole, this has been cut down from six episodes to four, whatever, mm-hmm. all that drama, knowing that there's more out there, but we just can't have it, is so frustrating because I really wanted it to be amazing. And I think it has the potential to be amazing. I kind of just wish that they trusted their audience a bit more to allow us to have those slower moments where we could have got to know all those characters a little bit more, but we just didn't get it. Were there parts of the show that you did unequivocally love? That you walked away and you were like, that was amazing, that was perfect, that was just what I wanted? Do you know what's interesting? I was about to try and remember something from maybe the first episode, but I can't remember. I can't remember the it's first been a month. <laughs> It's really bad. I, I, I got it for you. Go for Fjall's it. Fjall's accent. Oh, I mean, yeah. Fjall being, you know, the first Witcher being Irish is a big deal to me. There you go. Yeah. I love that for, <laughs> I love that for us. Um, that's so bad, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, when Ayla and Fjall first meet in that prison, they have their square off and then they start working. I love their whole character or their whole relationship arc. Yeah. Even though it seems rushed, but that's, you know, because of the reasons we've hashed about loads. That's one of my favourite things. The music also is a great part of this show. I know you guys both love the music as well. My favourite song was The Echo in the River, which I think is the one that she sings in the cave. Come with me, oh lover. Yeah. Yes. Beautiful. Yeah. I love the way she sings it. Her voice crack just like hits me in the heart. I absolutely adore her singing voice. But one thing I thought was interesting is Yaskier is usually our, our bard. And his songs are usually the ones that are, you know, the big ones. We've got Toss a Coin, then we had Burn, Butcher, Burn. He has a song in this series called Song of the Seven, 
which he sings, but it's only in the post, like in the credits at the very end of the show. So I feel like it's been completely missed. I've not heard anyone talk about Song of the Seven. I've not heard it on any TikToks or any Instagram reels. And I, it's a shame because usually his songs are the big, you know, the bangers of the show. But it's just been people probably got the credits and just switched off. Well, you said you said it was during the credits. Again, I was listening to it. Then all of a sudden a scene happened mid credits. Yeah. And then I had to go wipe excrement off of myself. Previously <laughs> mentioned. No, that's honestly what I didn't even remember this song because when I first watched it, the Avalok scene sent me into hypnosis that I had to listen to it again. But honestly, I think it was just forgetful. I didn't really care for it. I will say I totally missed it on my first yeah, watch of yeah. the four episodes. I didn't know there was a credit song with Yaskier. And it literally wasn't until this week when I was scripting this conversation and rewatching the episode sort of scene by scene. And I got to the credits and I was like, oh, I got to remember to watch the post credits. And then I was like, what is this song that I'm hearing for the first time? So I think you're right, Lucy. Like a lot of people probably hit the credits or Netflix did the thing where it auto plays just the, uh, the yeah, next th true. next show before the credits end. I'm sure a lot of people just like accidentally missed the Yasker song. And I, I will say not as good as toss a coin, not as good as burn butcher burn. I still really liked it though. I think the songs, like you've said, Lucy were a highlight of this show. Just the music in general as well. What's the guy called bear? Bear, McCreary. bear McCreary. Yeah. Insanely good. Insanely good. Yeah, real talented guy. I agree with a lot of your points, actually, though. Like, for me, episodes one and two had a lot of potential, and I genuinely enjoyed watching them. And it wasn't until episode three that my feelings on the show soured. Like, mm. things sort of started to go downhill, and I was worried that they couldn't land the ship, and then we got to episode four, and we didn't land the ship, at least for me. I thought episode four was fairly unremarkable and unmemorable. I will probably not be going back and rewatching it ever again. And that's sort of how I felt about the show at large, basically. Like, I don't want to be overly negative about it. I don't like being negative about a universe and a story and a world that I, that I love so much yeah. and has been such a big part of my life. And I certainly don't want my opinions to take away from others' enjoyment of it. But for me, we've talked about a lot of the issues in these past four episodes, but pacing the character motivations and the lack of general depth for a lot of the characters, uh, many of the scenes, the show being so compressed and so rushed that so many of the scenes feel like we're just checking boxes. You know, yeah. I mean, oh, we got to get that exposition. Oh, we got to get that character background. Oh, we need a little bit of banter. We're just like checking the boxes to get to the next scene instead of letting the story sort of simmer or saute. And I think it also raises a lot of questions for me about what they're doing with the lore. Again, I've sort of done my best to detach myself from the lore that I know and love and have loved for years. The books, the video games, the things that brought me into the Witcher world. The Netflix show has already sort of diverged plenty from that. Blood Origin continues to do that. Obviously, we have a new origin story for Ciri. They may reconnect it to Laura Dorn, but we don't know yet. All of that just raises a lot of questions for me and does genuinely, unfortunately, take away some of my enjoyment of something like this. And as good as the fight scenes were, as good as the music was, I think for me, Blood Origin is going to be one thing that I will likely never revisit. And 
uh, didn't really click for me, sadly, uh, outside of the first two episodes, which I think had potential, and then we never really achieved that potential. What about you, Brett? What were your big picture takeaways for the whole series? I mean, y'all kind of covered everything with there. The ride ended too soon, and I don't think the pacing would be that big of an issue if it was week to week. But like you talked about with binging, first two episodes are just breakneck speed. We're going, we're going, we're going, we're going, we're going. The third episode, we are grabbing the handbrake, we're slamming it, and then before we even come to a stop, we're stepping back on the gas to finish. And it's just whiplash of everything there where you have three episodes that are boom, 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 and then the third one is we're going to stop everything down. We're going to throw in all the exposition of the characters, all the backstories. And to me, that just really took it out before. It was almost where they were thinking, having to cut this back down into four episodes. We have to get this somewhere. Let's just throw it all in one episode and then get to the finish line. And if that would have been done over the course of a month, it wouldn't have been that jarring to me of the pacing. But I still overall, I did enjoy it. I'm glad I watched it. I don't regret watching it. It just feels like it's a missed opportunity. The pieces of a puzzle, the pieces of a good story are there. Unfortunately, they were hamstrung by having to cut it down and having to do that. I don't know whose decision it was, but either way, it just feels like a missed opportunity. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I genuinely did enjoy, I loved Fjall. There isn't one character that I can look at and be like, that character was annoying as hell. I'm glad they're on. The reason it feels like a missed opportunity is because I liked the characters. I liked yeah. when they were on screen. But as much as I liked almost every single one, I do wish we could have taken some, like Aridin, like Avalok, and been, you're not needed. I know we want to introduce you in The Witcher Season 3, but they just simply were not needed. And that was taking away from characters that we would have loved. Aelin Fjall, 100%. It's why I loved them in the first two episodes, especially that first one. They're together. And I keep yep. forgetting to mention... And we said her name so little, Skian and Michelle Yeoh. Yes, like, not enough Michelle Yeoh. Not remotely enough, especially these last two episodes. Yeah. yeah. Not nearly enough. Again, one of those where you, I know they always say, leave them wanting more, but not like this. Not no, like this. not when we know there's so much more already recorded <laughs> and just waiting there in the editing room. <laughs> so true. Hashtag release the six episode cut. All right, well, speaking of things we like then, let's wrap up today by sharing our favorite scenes and our favorite quotes. And my original idea was let's come in and talk about our favorite scenes from episode four and our favorite quotes from episode four. But if you guys want to go rogue and share your favorite scenes from the whole show, feel free to do that too. Lucy, let's start with you. What was your favorite scene from either episode four or just the show at large? My favorite scene from this episode, just visually, was the funeral scene at the very end where Fiol is being burned. I think it just stuck with me because it's in Iceland and I've been there and I've seen these black beaches and it just, it was one of my favorite holidays I've ever been on. And the fire against the black and the green and then Ayla just looks so beautiful stood there and it's obviously a very emotional moment for her. That kind of stuck with me. I think in terms of dialogue and back and forth, it's what I mentioned earlier between Merwin and Fjall. 
when she's given her whole spiel about what she did and Fiol just kind of laughs and says, you truly are demented. Like, (laughs) you can't believe. (laughs) I love that moment. And that, like you said, Brett, that was kind of the last moment we see of Fiol as his normal self. And he's just laughing, saying, you know, you're crazy, basically. Um, One of my favourite scenes in the rest of the show. I do like the scene, even though episode three had its issues. I like all the different characters getting their chances to do their monologues. Brother Death got his monologue, which was beautiful. And uh, Meldoff got her story to tell as well. And it was nice. Was that episode three? Maybe it wasn't. Yeah, yeah, it that was. was three, it, was. Yeah. Yeah. it was. So I liked I liked those moments the best, I think. Nice. What about you, Brett? Favorite scene? My favorite scene overall, I'm going to say, is the angry banker dwarf. He was yes, cool. Our guy. <laughs> he was awesome. Die slowly, assholes. Um, yeah. Quote, Scottish. Yeah, die slowly, assholes. And the fight after that was really cool, too. So It was. I would say that. From here, I already mentioned like Ayla and Merwin's kind of confrontation. I just, I like that they didn't do what I think a lot of people would have done. It was made it action-oriented. They actually went for a more dialogue-based I agree. For me, from episode four, I think my favorite scene was the hallway fight. I love me a good hallway fight. And this was by no means Daredevil season one iconic hallway fight, but it was still well done. And much like the other fight scenes in this whole series, it was well choreographed, well shot, fun action. And it was obvious the actors were having a fun time too. So I liked the palace hallway scene in episode four. As far as the whole show goes, I think, honestly, I'm going to say another fight scene. Yeah. The post-asshole banker fight scene where they're <laughs> holding the line and we get to see this like very well-choreographed dance between these three very powerful warriors holding off an army much larger than themselves. That was a lot of fun for me. So I, I liked that as well. The fight scenes really, really did it for me in this show. All right, what about our favorite quotes? And Lucy, we'll start with you again. So from this episode... The quote that stays with me is from Skian, and it was just the venom that she says it with. It's just after Merwin kind of betrays her and doesn't decide to go ahead with the agreement they had, and she just death stares her. I will haunt you for the rest of my days or your days, and may your womb rot and your name be forgotten. I was like, jeez, I was like, that's mean. And I love it. Brutal, brutal. Completely. That's a great line. What about you, Brett? It wasn't really a quote, but it was the two Standing Stones song. Because again, it's something in there where the music from the this series were top-notch. Amazing. Some of my favorite of anything I can ever really think of. The fight scenes were amazing. Yeah. And that to me is the thing where those are the big pieces. of. It's not to go back to summarizing the whole show, but it kind of ties it with this. Where those are the pieces, and I see that, and you just want this to be so much better you want it to hit and there's just that disconnect in pulling it together but this song was a perfect way to end it i know when mm. we interviewed when we interviewed hugh novella guy playing brother death as we mentioned he did say that this was his favorite song and like hit oh, him nice. like hit him you know that's what really really got him you know those eyes balling yeah yeah it's a great song for me as far as quotes go this is a pretty action-heavy episode, so there was no quote that sort of like resonated strongly with me, but I did laugh out loud at the moment where 
we get that banter between Ayla and the cell sword leader, whose name I forget now. Uthrock Do- One Nut. Uthrock One Nut. Irish great Dylan Moran. There we go. Uthrock One Nut. And after they start that riot and everyone's sort of amped up, and he basically turns to her and he's like, You gotta immortalize me in a song. And I, I loved that banter back and forth between them. And it was a good bit of comedy and a good bit of levity in an otherwise very action heavy and very emotion heavy episode. Okay, so that wraps up our episode today. But before we leave, Lucy, I want to give you your time. It has been an absolute treat having you join us for this conversation. And I want to let you tell our listeners where they can find you online and follow all of the great work that you do. Well, first of all, thank you both for having me on. It's lovely to finally get to speak to you, Abu. Obviously, I speak to Brett several times a week, but it's been (laughs) very fun and lovely as always. I've been a big fan of this podcast for a couple of years, and I think you guys do really great work, especially back when I first started listening. You know, I didn't know anything about The Witcher, and it really was the perfect companion podcast for the show. So I really appreciate all the work you guys put into it. Um, For me, you can find me online pretty much anywhere. I mainly stream on Twitch. I post my videos on YouTube as well. My handle is Lucy J Robin everywhere. And yeah, I'd love if you guys wanted to have a chat anywhere. Twitter's great as well. I love Twitter recently. I don't know if we ever explicitly stated that we do that podcast together. <laughs> did we not? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if we did. I think we just kind of assumed it. But yeah, on the path, the other one, we're taking a Witcher break. Uh, we're covering the last of uh, HBO's The Last of Us now. And as far as, you know, The Witcher, all that, uh, Netflix, we've interviewed Francesca, which is Misha Simpson. We've interviewed Lambert, Paul Bullion. And we interviewed the host of WitcherCon, Julia Hardy as well. So yeah, and that take over there. Uh, yeah, on the path. And again, it's just been so weird today. It's been nice. Conjunction yeah. of the podcast. It is. Conjunction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just assume that our listeners know about your show. You know, it's it's the Witcher podcast extended universe. So yes. Today is the coming together of the event. crossover. Yeah. Nice. Yes, the crossover <laughs> episode. <laughs> well, it's been a treat having you, Lucy. Thanks for joining Thank us you. today. Willaboo, podcast or podcast, lesser, greater, middling, they're all the same. But we've completed our contract and it's time to collect our reward. So leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and check out all the other shows on the Lower Party Podcast Network on loreparty.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at lore underscore party. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you on the path. <laughs>